This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stamps.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to let you know that Invisibilia, NPR's show about the invisible forces shaping our behavior, is back on March 9th with a new season. This time, they're taking on some of the biggest cultural fights of our time. Russian hacking, reality TV, hashtag MeToo, just to name a few. You can listen and subscribe to Invisibilia on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Warning, this podcast uses some unsavory language. Please be advised. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Afira. So today we have a game about misplacing things. So lost and found speed round. Here we go. Which French leader set up the first centralized lost and found department in a city? That was Napoleon in 1805. That is correct. Where would you go if you lost something on the London Underground? I would probably go to the Lost Property Office. You would indeed. Mm -hmm. And what is the most common thing lost on the New York City subway? The ability to smell urine. (laughs) From NPR and WNYC, coming to you from the Bell House in beautiful Brooklyn, New York... It's NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia, Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. We have a great show for you. Four brilliant contestants are backstage, and they're here to play our nerdy games, but only one will be our big winner. And our special guest is magician Derek Delgadio. His hit stage show is called In and of Itself. He describes it as a theatrical existential crisis. The last time I had a theatrical existential crisis was when I didn't get the role of Joseph in my elementary school's production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. They said I was too Jewish. (laughs) Our first game is for anyone who's tried all of the combos flavors and concluded that they all taste like crunchy squeeze cheese. Let's meet our first two contestants. First up, Jen Crocker on buzzer number one. You're a freelance writer and dog sitter. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Your opponent is Legina Hill on buzzer number two. You're a writer and director. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) Very good. Jen and Legina, the first of you who wins two of our games will go on to our final round. Let's start with a trivia game called Artisanal Junk Food. Jonathan and I will pretend to be waiters, giving overly fancy descriptions of items on our menu. However, our restaurant only serves junk food. Okay, here we go. Why not begin with an individually portioned charcuterie? Our chefs transform a melange of meats into a simple jerked stick. Snap into this unpretentious, beefy delight. Legina. Slim Jim? You got it. That's right. 
I've always wanted to date an unpretentious, beefy delight. (laughs) In this appetizer, we fuse corn with liquid ice, heat it under pressure, and extrude it into uniformly unique, crinkly shapes. Enjoy our flaming hot flavor profiles, including cheddar jalapeno, limon, and X-Extra. Jen. Cheetos. Oh, yes, Cheetos. Mm. Who knew corn was in them? (laughs) No idea. In a feat of molecular gastronomy, today's potato dish is only 42% potatoes. We make a dehydrated tuber dough, press it flat, cut it, and fry it for 11 seconds in a saddle-shaped mold. Then we stack the crisps and serve in a foil-lined tube. Legina. Pringles? Yeah. Mm. 42% potatoes. (laughs) It's less than half potatoes. I know. What is the other 58%? What is the other 58%? Defeat. (laughs) (laughs) Mouthfeel agents. (laughs) Today's limited seasonal entree special confounds the senses. We shape boneless pork into the likeness of costal cartilage and slather it with barbecue sauce. This dish's name is a tribute to our restaurant's founders, Richard and Maurice McDonald. Jen. Uh, Chicken McNuggets? Mm. I mean, you said pork. Ah, the McRib, FML. (laughs) (laughs) Are they all wrong? Well, we can't accept that answer. Might, that means uh, that means fix me later, right? Yeah. <laughs> in the edit, fix me. In the edit, fix me later. In the edit. Sorry. Legina gets the steal. McRib. Is that not right? Sorry, the answer is McEar. No, that is correct. That is correct. Here's your last clue. We tucked sweet strawberry preserves into flat scones, frosted them, and topped them with colorful sugar shards. This dessert is served in pairs in a glimmering Mylar bag. It's the perfect end to a romantic meal. Legina. Pop-Tart? Yeah, Pop-Tart yeah. is correct. No idea. Also, the description of how I'd like to be laid to rest. Mm. <laughs> Mylar bag. <laughs> Puzziger, Archung, how did our contestants do? Well done, Legina. You're one step closer to our final round. Our next game is about a great acting challenge, perfecting a foreign accent. You know, I had to hire a dialect coach before I took this job at NPR, because before then I used to speak with range and emotion. (laughs) Let's check in with our contestants. So, Legina, you rapped on a short film recently that you wrote and directed based on a famous Madeleine Albright quote. Tell us about that. You have me hooked. Madeleine Albright famously said, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Mm -hmm. And I just envisioned what that would be. It's um, a cold warehouse with a bunch of type A aggressive ladies. Oh, so you've (laughs) created... You've created this hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yes. cast a bunch of fun people oh, yes. to play these different archetypes of type A. Fantastic. 
Jen, you competed in beauty pageants for years, and you actually, quite successfully, you made it to the top 15 at the Miss Florida USA pageant. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So, I mean, what do you enjoy about beauty pageants? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, did you make friends through the pageants? I did. I have a friend from the pageant. (laughs) There was 86 girls, and one of them was nice to me. Right. This is what you were talking about in your short film, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Were there a lot of pageant girls? (laughs) Let's go to your next game. This game is a special audio edition of This, That, or the Other called Isle of Accents. We're going to play a clip of an actor attempting to do an English, Irish, or Scottish accent. Ring in and tell us which one it is. And if you get it right, for an extra point, you can identify the film. Okay, Legina, you won the last game, so you win this, and you are off to the final round. Jen, you need to win this, or your parting gift is an accent table (laughs) from Pier 1. It looks okay. It's made out of wicker. (laughs) Uh, So you have to clean it with a hairdryer. (laughs) Okay, here we go. First up, here's Renee Zellweger. It all began on New Year's Day in my 32nd year of being single. Is that supposed to be English, Irish, or Scottish? Legina. English. That is correct. For a bonus point, can you name this 2001 film? Bridget Jones's Diary? Yes. 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 <laughs> Next is Jude Law. This submarine was based on the U-boat design. Jen. Scottish? That is correct. For a bonus point, can you name this 2014 film? I cannot. (laughs) Fair enough. We don't steal any bonuses. We don't steal any bonus points. I'll just let you know. It is Black Sea. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Here is an 11-year-old Anna Paquin. She says it's her piano and she won't have him touch it. English, Irish, or Scottish? Legina. English. Sorry, that is incorrect. (laughs) Jen, can you steal? Irish. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. (laughs) Scottish was the answer. Anna Paquin, that was a Scottish accent. (laughs) There is no bonus point because nobody got it, but the (laughs) film was the piano. Oh. All right, this clip is from Tom Cruise. This land is mine! Mine by destiny! Nope. Legina. I'm going to say that he was English. Sorry, that is incorrect. Jen, can you steal? I'm going to go for Irish. Irish is what that particular moment. (laughs) I just don't know sorry. For a bonus point, can you name this 1992 film? No, you can't. She's shaking her head. Far and away. Um, Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay, here's your last clue. Here's Meryl Streep. Why don't you put on a beret and pay 85% of your income to the French government? Jen. English? That is correct, English. (laughs) Yes. A hidden hint was animosity towards the French. Pick English. For a bonus point, can you name this 2011 film? Something about a lady. Sure. That one. 
so there you go. <laughs> All right. I, I like the direction you're going. Any, uh, any firm answer there? No, nothing's firm. Okay. <laughs> Except for the Iron Lady. Yes, yes the Iron Lady. Okay. I like the title Something About a Lady, though. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Puzzler Archung, how did our contestants do? Well done, Jen. You won that game. So you each won a game, and it's time for a quick game three. I'm going to give you a category, and you'll go back and forth naming things that fall into that category. The first contestant to mess up will be eliminated. Buzz in to answer first. Here's your category. Name the nine films that received an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture in 2018. Legina, you're up. Shape of Water. Correct. Jen, you're next. Three billboards outside of Lansing, Michigan. I'll, I'll let you correct that. Missouri. I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you say the title again? We'll give you okay. one more chance to say the whole title again. Okay. Or pick a different movie. Yeah. For <laughs> <laughs> real. Um, the Florida Project. No, also incorrect. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, perfect. <laughs> the other answers were "Call Me by Your Name," "Darkest Hour," "Dunkirk." Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> Jen, we're sorry to see you go. Latina, congratulations. You're headed to the final round. Coming up, I'll talk to magician Derek Delgadio about his off-Broadway show in and of itself. And like our show, he presents puzzles of a sort. His puzzles explore the illusion of identity, and our puzzles are about, you know, superheroes and animal noises. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This message is brought to you by Wondery. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura protects residents from global catastrophes. But a dark secret threatens Pura's very existence. Binge all episodes of The Last City ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. 96% of users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing. Save time with one click and go from editing drafts in hours to seconds. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions to help your team make their point and move faster. Make a bigger impact at work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Grammarly. Easier said, done. This is Ask Me Another, NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. I'm Jonathan Colton, here with puzzle guru Archung. Now here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. It's time to welcome our special guest. He's a magician and storyteller whose off-Broadway show is called In and of Itself. Please welcome Derek Delgadio. <laughs> welcome to Ask Me Another. Hello. Well, hi. Hi. I'm so happy to have you. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'll tell so. you what you're doing. Let's talk about you. 12 years old, you enter a magic shop, but not to buy a trick. You go to buy a prank. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so who is this prank for? Uh, my mother. <laughs> well, not for yeah, her, to presumably do- to do on her. Um, <laughs> okay, but what were like, you thinking? So basically it's a little, uh, I think they call them sap traps and you, you it's like a, a mouse trap that you put a cap on or one of the uh, like the little fire yeah caps yeah and then you'd put it under someone's drink so that when they lifted it up it would it would slap shut and you know make a huge bang like a cap gun and so i thought that was going to be hilarious <laughs> uh, uh, and so I, I went in to get one of those and they didn't have them uh which was a bummer uh but uh, the guy behind the counter asked me if I wanted to see some magic, and so he showed me some 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 tricks. Yeah, and and you were like, all right, maybe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to do something with the twelve bucks I had to blow. So. Uh. <laughs> and they gave you a book. Yeah, actually, I, a guy showed me a trick, and the the one thing he did at the end was he made a a, a pocket knife vanish, and I, I said I wanted to do that. Now, how much is that? And he said, oh, well, that's not for sale. You have to learn that. That's sleight of hand. You got to learn that from a book. I was like, uh, uh. Uh, you got to read. Okay, fine. Um, so yeah, so, so I bought uh, a couple of books and, and uh, started a journey that led here. That led here. But along this journey, I mean, you tried to leave magic numerous times. You enrolled in the American Academy of the Arts in theater, not in performing. You know, you want to do theater, not magic. Yeah, did you do, like, special ops research on there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right? You quit high school because you're going to work on magic. I like how you said, I quit high school. <laughs> like, that's a thing you can do. Yeah, you, I'm, you, you know, give like, two weeks notice. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's not working out. I'm going to have to put in my two weeks, and I'm not coming back. Uh, yeah, I quit high school. And, uh, yeah, and, and I had a... I, I had a uh, I guess a love-hate relationship. I just I did uh, sleight of hand and magic for for me. I didn't really perform it at all, and didn't really see that as something I would pursue professionally. And uh, I went to school for theater. And uh, when I got out of um, theater school, I realized that I had gained a bunch of knowledge that was even more worthless than magic. <laughs> uh, and so. And so I had to figure out something to do. So you're an award-winning magician, uh, and your current off-Broadway show, in and of itself, really seamlessly combines personal storytelling, your own stories, true stories from your life, with uh, sleight-of-hand tricks and illusions in a way that is very different because they're actually both upholding each other. The stories uh, illustrate parts of the magic. The magic illustrates parts of the stories. Why combine this? Most art forms or crafts and even comedy, music, movies, anything, you know, great artists try to not just perform or or make a thing. They try to say something. And um, I just wanted to say something. And so I I only know how to do a few things and sleight of hand and magic was one of those things. And so uh, I basically just thought about what I wanted to say and then tried to figure out how to put what I know how to do in service of that thing. And what you're trying to say, it's your exploration of identity in many forms. Yeah. And actually, and the audience is fully part of this. So one of the great uh, beginning moments of the show is everyone walks in. They are faced with this board that says, I am. And there's about a thousand nouns that you pick the one that you relate to. And I mean, it's like, I am a mother, a veterinarian, a lawyer, all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we pick these uh, to, you know, that we identify with. There must be ones that are picked every time. 
Yeah, there there are certainly um, you know mother and father and, sure. and ones that you would expect. Uh, unicorn is taken a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's just taken a lot. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then there are things that are you know kind of surprising that are taken nightly. Ninjas taken often. Uh, space pirate is also taken a lot. Um, but f- uh, failure and nobody are also chosen frequently too, which is yeah, exactly. Oh. Well, this is what I find kind of interesting about the show about identity, because you put uh, audience members in the state where they have to deal with their identity. And I feel like you must be dealing with major reactions to this every show. Can you tell us about a few things that have stood out? Yeah, I mean, we've had uh, the, the show is, you know, examines basically what it is to have an existential crisis. <laughs> uh, and and uh, there's a lot of self-reflection uh, for myself and the audience. And uh, we've had people come to some pretty amazing realizations, uh, both during the show or maybe after, upon reflection. Um, we had someone uh, confess that they were having an affair on stage in front of the audience. They hadn't told either of their families, but they, they felt like they just had to share with someone. So they came on a date and told everyone there, as if like social media doesn't exist and people can't just right. like s- start talking about it. Um, I found out later after the fact that a lot of people have had some you know intense experiences in the show. One, one woman, I guess, I read this uh, in, an, in a, bl- a blog someone sent me where they talked about going to the show and they had chosen uh, a prostitute uh, off the wall and they actually were. And they were with their mother. And uh, they didn't realize that there would be a confrontation of like them actually having to decide whether or not that's how they really saw themselves. And uh, apparently the, that person just spent the night crying on the the steps all night after the show and so um it's a hoot you guys should come down uh, <laughs> but it is a hoot i mean it is it is very deep and i mean you know and this brings up a good point so you know in in addition to the self-exploration that you're going through with the narrative stories the self-exploration the audience is going through there is also just amazing illusions and sleight of hand i mean the, you know the card stuff you do is and how things appear and disappear is just it fills the entire room with wonder. And from your point of view, when you are performing these things and the audience then has a chance to react, what would you like the audience to do? Um, I've had to stop thinking about that. Yeah. You know, and, and that's been part of the challenge of the show is, is not valuing uh, maybe applause or reactions in the way that you normally might as a, as a performer. And uh, you, you have to be okay with silence. And that's a hard thing to get over as a performer, uh, if you, you know, on stage. And you just have to uh, really have something to say and mean it and just hope that it's being um, heard. And so I stopped thinking about whether or not this is funny or, or entertaining. Uh, just is it legible? And all I can do is, is, is hope that it is and, and that uh, whatever experience they're having is authentic, you know? Yeah. Now, you approached your director, Frank Oz, to direct the show? Yeah, we had, uh, we had developed a relationship over a few years prior. He came and saw my last show, yeah. and I lost, I lost my mind. Like, I've, I've only been starstruck, I think, twice in my life, and it was Frank and Muhammad Ali. And uh, I had no idea. He was a high Derek Frank Oz, and I went, oh, my God, you're Frank Oz. And that's exactly what I, I said. And, and uh, um, we ended up having dinner a few times while I was in New York. And then when I was making this show and I was thinking about uh, who should direct it, there was only one person I could think of, which is Frank, because it's a show about being more than one thing and how difficult that is because 
our inability to see each other as more than one thing. And I wanted a director who understood what that felt like and what that meant. And when you think, when you hear the name Frank Oz, everyone thinks of something different. Some people think of Yoda, some people think of Miss Piggy, some people think of Dirty Round Scoundrels, or what about Bob, or the guy from the Blues Brothers. So everyone has a different idea of what Frank Oz is or what that means. A lot of people just think he's, you know, just a puppeteer. Right. And, uh, which he will lose his mind if you say that. Uh, you know, I bring things to life, goddammit. Uh, uh, and, uh, and he does, and he's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, puppeteer is lower on the rung than magician. So I, I figured if anyone could understand what the pain of being labeled as something was, it would be Frank, and I, I was right. Yeah. What is your favorite part of this show to perform? Uh, there's a moment where I tell someone... Um, on stage, uh, what is about to happen. Everything I'm saying is 100% true, but I can tell that not only is the person on stage, but everyone watching doesn't really believe what's about to happen is going to happen. Uh, and then it does. And that for me is always a very uh, satisfying moment because uh, the illusion isn't created by me lying to them or deceiving them. It's it's based on me telling them the truth. And because of who they think I am and what this context is, they don't believe me. And so they're deceiving themselves and if you watch it a second time you realize wow he was just telling us the truth and we we weren't believing it and so that brings up a different mm. sort of drama a different confrontation of like well why didn't i believe him or why why didn't i believe that was going to happen so you kind of pull the wool over your own eyes and and uh, that's it's one of my favorite moments for you sure. bring them to life god damn it exactly <laughs> very good yeah. okay derek are you ready to play and ask me another challenge nope come on yes you are Derek Delgadio. Derek, obviously you have amazing card handling skills, so we've crafted a quiz for you about playing cards. Mm. <laughs> and if you do well enough, Jillian Porras from Nashville, Tennessee will win an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube. All right. Okay. <laughs> and if you need a hint, Puzzle Guru Archung is standing by. Let's, let's give it a shot. The first known reference to playing cards is from China in 868 AD. The four suits we know now as hearts, diamonds, clubs, and spades were originally different and evolved over centuries. Which suit was depicted over time as polo sticks, batons, and acorns? Derek. Uh, Clubs? That is correct. In the 1500s, the King of Hearts was holding a battle axe near his head, but after centuries of inaccurate copies, it now looks like the King of Hearts is doing what? (laughs) Putting a sword through his head? Yeah, stabbing himself in the head with a sword. The problem is these sound more complicated than they are. Yes, I think they're intentionally misleading in, in a way. Okay. Yep. Almost like magic. (laughs) Wow. The King of Hearts is the only king missing what facial feature? A beard. Yeah, that's right. Mustache. Mustache. That he lost that over the centuries too. Here's your next one. In World War II, the United States playing card company developed decks for soldiers that had a special feature. What is it? They hid maps in them for POWs. 
Yes. When submerged in water, they revealed maps. All right, here's your last question. According to a 1992 study by professors at Columbia and Harvard, how many... Seven. (laughs) Although there's been a lot of debate on that number since then, so... I'll just say the question for the listening audience... How many imperfect riffle shuffles are necessary to sufficiently randomize a deck of cards? As you know, the answer way before that was seven. It took professors from Harvard and Columbia. (laughs) Should have just called you. Puzzleger Archung, how did Derek do? Congratulations, Derek. You and listener Jillian Porras both win. Ask me another Rubik's Cube. In and of itself is playing off-Broadway at the Daryl Roth Theater through August. Let's hear it one more time for Derek Delgadio. Our next game is about superheroes losing things. You think you felt bad when you lost your engagement ring. Imagine how Green Lantern felt when he lost his ring and when he left his charging lantern at the Holiday Inn. First up, Jamie Mercado on buzzer number one. You teach math to sixth graders. Welcome. Thank you. Your opponent is Mark Lerner on buzzer number two. You're a lawyer working in intellectual property. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Remember, Jamie and Mark, the first of you who wins two of our games will go on to our final round. Let's go to your first game. Jamie, what would your superhero name be? I think it would probably be something like the Singing Snowman. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hero or a villain, just to be clear. I think uh, both, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Depends what's needed, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you give me a little bit more? The the visual is phenomenal. Yeah. What kind um, of songs... Oh, uh, probably musical theater. So now I'm starting to worry that maybe it is a villain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber versus Songheim. You know, we got some range there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the snowman's face, is it a smile? Oh, yeah. Think think like Olaf from Frozen. Got it. Okay, yeah. Happy snowman, potentially deadly songs. (laughs) Mark, what would your superhero name be? Well, I guess I'm also coming with the hard to tell whether it's a hero or villain name, yeah. but all I can think of is, you know, my kids would think uh, the yeller because that would maybe my the superpower. Yeller. Yeah. The yeller? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate dad superhero. <laughs> right, you just say to any villain, like, well, did you go to bed on time? And they're like, I feel terrible. You say your magic words, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your shoes on. <laughs> right. My power is I count back from 10. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a trivia game called Superhero Sweep. Superheroes carry a bunch of accessories, so it's only natural that they'd misplace them every once in a while. Jonathan and I will pretend to be superheroes trying to claim objects from a lost and found. Just ring in and tell us who the superheroes are. Here we go. I thought the lasso of truth would be in the overhead bin of my invisible plane, but that's always hard to find, too. 
Mark. Wonder Woman. That is correct. I lost my necklace that expands into my kinetic energy-absorbing vibranium suit. We've got lots of it back in Wakanda, but that's a secret, so don't tell anybody. Mark. Black Panther. That's correct. I lost my bullwhip. I don't know if it's in the superhero lost and found or the supervillain lost and found, since I'm kind of both. Yes, I know. I look a lot like Eartha Kitt, Michelle Pfeiffer, Halle Berry, and Anne Hathaway. Mark. Catwoman. Catwoman is correct. So I'm missing my quindent, which is like a trident, but with five prongs, and I may have dropped it in the ocean. But take your time, because the Justice League won't even notice that I'm gone. Mark. (laughs) Aquaman. Aquaman is correct. Just so you know, Aquaman saw the shape of water and thought, representation, finally. (laughs) These web shooters mean a lot to me, and uh, everyone thinks they came with the radioactive bite, but I made them myself. Jamie. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, you got it. I like this idea, made them myself, like Superhero Project Runway. That would be amazing. Uh, Puzzleger Archung, how did our contestants do? Nice work, Mark. You're one step closer to our final round. If you've lost all of your reasons for not being a contestant on our show, there's only one thing to do. Go to amatickets.org. Coming up, if your main complaint with 1980s rap is that it needs more puns. Stay tuned. I'm Ophira Eisenberg, and this is Ask Me Another from NPR. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps Podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. This is NPR's Ask Me Another. I'm Jonathan Colton here with puzzle guru Art Chung. Now, here's your host, Ophira Eisenberg. Thank you, Jonathan. Before the break, we met our contestants, Jamie and Mark. Soon they'll play a music parody game that's also a word game called Pun DMC. (laughs) Jamie, you once took part in a ridiculous college tradition. I went to college in rural New Hampshire, and my college maintains a 50-mile stretch of the Appalachian Trail. So about 10 years before I got there, a couple of people decided it would make sense to get a bunch of students to hike those 50 miles of the Appalachian Trail, but also without stopping ever. 
So you leave at like noon on a Friday and then you just walk for 30 hours. 30 hours? Yes. How many people did that hike? So about 30 started it. (laughs) Yeah. And how many people finished? It it depends. Um. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's hard to really answer that question. Yes. What is finishing? You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Mark, speaking of climbing, you found out something about yourself while climbing to the top of the Statue of Liberty. What did I you find out? did. I found out that what I refer to as my mild incipient claustrophobia was full-on claustrophobia. <laughs> yeah, I, I got up like one turn of the spiral staircase inside of the Statue of Liberty, and I couldn't go a step further. My uh, you know, heart was pounding into my chest, and I turned around and said to my seven-year-old, like, I can't do this. And we went downstairs and, and I made my husband take him up to the crown and he had already been up to the top with our 12-year-old. Uh, oh, he so he got to do it, it twice. Yes. <laughs> Good. So you're going to play an extra tough music parody game even harder than when we asked two millennials to identify songs by the monkeys. <laughs> can, can we do that? Oh, no. <laughs> that did not go well. Mark, you won the last game, so you win this and you are off to the final round. Jamie, you need to win this or you will have to identify songs by the monkeys. In this game, all of the answers are musical artists with one letter changed in their name. Each clue is a song famously performed by that artist with the lyrics changed to reflect the changed name. I know. I said a lot of words. For example, if I sang a parody of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire about a Christmas tree that caught on fire, you would answer Billy Noel. Changing one letter. Oh, boy. Oh, you look panicked. It's going to be okay. Okay. And here we go. I'm your pyromaniac. I'm way into fire, even though arson's taboo. I'm your pyromaniac. Can't quench my desire. Any old fire will do. (laughs) Just jump in, everybody. So the original song was called Private Dancer. The artist also sang What's Love Got to Do With It? Mark. Tina Burner. Tina Burner is correct. That's right. The lyrics were about fire. It was a song by Tina Turner. You changed Turner to Burner. Now we know how the game is played. (laughs) She's a real Debbie Downer. Complainer and a frowner. She's a real Debbie Downer, so she's hard to be around. I like the eerie silence that... Yes, Mark, go ahead. All right, so I'm going to have to work it through. Sure. Uh, she Works Hard for the Money is uh-huh. a song. I believe it was by uh, Donna Summer. Uh-huh. Uh, so Debbie Downer. <laughs> People are twisting in their seats. Uh, Downa Summer? That's, that's really pretty good, good but that's, that's not really what good. we were looking for, I'm afraid. Jamie, can you steal? Donna Bummer. Donna no. Bummer. That's right. I thought I, I thought I could work it through. <laughs> meow, 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 meow. Jamie. Feline Dion. Feline Dion, you got it. That's right. That was my heart will go on, but all meows. So obviously, Feline Dion. 
I, I will say that we would also have accepted Celine Lyon if. <laughs> <laughs> Let's connect two things together. Sign up for a club or the army. United like birds of a feather. Community. Who's got the guts for it? (laughs) I'll I'll give some hints. So the song was Tiny Dancer. Everyone's like, yeah, okay. Uh And the lyrics were about signing up for something. Jamie. Elton Join. Elton Join, you got it. Here's your next one. You put the M at the end of a word. An interrogative pronoun you might have heard The new word isn't the same It's the object of a verb and it sounds arcane Mark Whom Whom, that's right Yeah I was like, That was like doing a triple backflip yeah. and sticking the landing, Mark Well done That was Wham, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go Here's your last clue You are relieved to hear that <laughs> It is too tough to keep all this stuff I know it sounds rough But enough is enough The trash is piling up Our house is so full of stuff Throw it into a truck I'm up for calling a hauler Beep, 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 doop, La, 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 la so the original song was Get Lucky. The band is Daft Punk. And the lyrics are about... Jamie. Daft Junk. Daft Junk. That's correct. Art Chung, how did they do on this one? Well done, Jamie. You won that game. You each won a game, so it's time for a quick game three. I'm going to give you a category, and you'll go back and forth naming things that fall into that category. First contestant to mess up will be eliminated. Buzz in to answer first. Here's your category. Name the six noble gases. Mark, you're first. Helium. Helium is correct. Jamie. Carbon. No, I'm sorry. That's not a gas. The other ones were neon, argon, krypton, xenon, and radon. Oh, I would not have gotten any of those. Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, we're sorry to see you go. Mark, congratulations. You're headed to the final round. While Legina and Mark get ready for the final round, it's time for us to play a game. This is Mystery Guest. A stranger is about to come on stage. Jonathan and I have no idea who this person is or what makes them special, but our puzzle guru, Art Chung, does. That's right, Ophira. You and Jonathan will work together as a team to figure out our Mystery Guest secret by asking yes or no questions. Mystery Guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Amanda Brennan, and my official job title is Senior Content Insights Manager. Your job is to figure out what the heck that means. (laughs) Here's my first question. Were you ever a Junior Insights Content (laughs) Manager? Okay. So this only existed at the senior level? At the time. Hmm. Does this job involve uh, social media? Yes. Sounds pretty social media-y. And you are... are 
Con- well, now I forgot what it is. Content, Senior what? Senior content insights manager. Insights. Insights into the content. You're yes. getting you're managing insights into the content. Yeah. At a senior level. At a, a senior, senior level. level. You got it. <laughs> Would you say the content that you have insight <laughs> to uh, is it for entertainment purposes? It can be. Can be. Is it for educational purposes? It can be. All right. Does it have a prime purpose? No. No. It's the internet, man. Yeah. Forget about it. Uh, are you looking at trends? Are you sort of examining trends in data? Yes. We're getting hotter. We're getting hotter. Okay. But uh, So we're looking for what trend specifically? All right. Yes. Are we looking at trends, uh, pop culture trends? Yes. Are you a cool hunter? No. Are you a meme hunter? S- Yes. Very close. Yes. Are you are you are you a person who watches for memes and does something with memes? Yes. I, okay. I think you got it. I think. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh. <laughs> also, Amanda is Tumblr's librarian of memes and meme culture. Specifically, oh. she runs the site's Fandometrics, which keeps track of what pop culture topics people on Tumblr are talking about. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how does someone get this job? Uh, So I'm actually a librarian. I have my master's in library and information science from Rutgers. And when I was there, I focused in social media because I knew I wanted to do something with information that wasn't just a traditional job. Uh, So from there, I studied Tumblr and the way people tag uh, way back in 2010. Uh, So I've been doing this for a while. And before I was at Tumblr proper, I spent some time at the website Know Your Meme. And just for our listening audience that might be like, I kind of get what a meme is, but like, I don't know how to do describe it. Yeah, so a meme is a piece of culture that can travel from person to person and change along the way. So a lot of people think of a meme as like a picture with words on it. A meme can also be a gif. It could be a video. Okay, so what are people talking about right now, Amanda? Right now, there's a lot of K-pop. A lot of Olympics is still seething out. Also Tessa and Scott, the Canadian ice dancers. Yes. Uh, People love them and want to ship them. Are you familiar with shipping? Shipping? Yes. Like, uh... Like not boats. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like stamps? Not stamps. <laughs> okay. No, no tell, tell me, tell me. Uh, so shipping is the act of when you really want two people, whether it be real-life people or fictional characters, to kiss. So people really want Tessa and Scott to be in a relationship, which mm. is where shipping comes yeah. from. Uh, shipping is huge on Tumblr. People will ship anything. You can find it. It's there. So they, they will pick even inanimate objects. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where do you think your job can go? Like, how do you think your job can benefit humanity? As meme culture becomes popular culture, people yeah. in 50 years are going to look back and be like, what is this weird thing that happened on the internet? And I feel like a lot of the time now, people aren't taking it as seriously. And this past year alone has been a great example of how meme culture can really affect real-life things. And I think there should be more people doing research into this weird stuff that's happening on the internet and growing and, like, pay attention to it. Yeah, because it's it's both reflecting and influencing culture. Yeah. Uh, What's a trend or meme that will never die? The Rickroll. Are you familiar uh, with Rickroll? Uh, <laughs> can you explain what that is to our audience? Yeah, so the Rickroll, uh, you may know the song by Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up. Uh, people will use it as a bait and switch link. So they'll be like, hey, have you seen this trailer for Infinity War that no one's ever seen? They're like, yeah, I want to see it. So they'll click that link, and then I'll be like, never gonna give you up, <laughs> never gonna let you down. 
and it, that's a Rickroll. It's not a bad song, and the video is pretty good. So it's like, man, you got me again. Uh, yeah. It's, people don't get mad about a Rickroll. No, it's fun. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. I do. I do like it. I think it is a positive expression of it just... Is, it is. It's a, yeah. it's a nice thing. I agree with you. It's never going to die because it feels mm-hmm. like if somebody Rickrolled me tomorrow, I would be like, oh, my God, that is so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone give it up for our mystery guest, Amanda Brennan. It's time to crown our big winner. Let's bring back our finalist, Legina Hill, whose personal hell is a cold warehouse filled with type A ladies. (laughs) And Mark Lerner, a.k.a. the ultimate dad superhero, The Yeller. Puzziger Archung, take it away. Thanks, Sophia. Legina and Mark, your final round is called The Prime Directive. Every answer contains a prime number. Our big winner will receive an Ask Me Another Rubik's Cube signed by Derek Delgadio. We cut a deck of cards backstage. Mark drew the King of Diamonds and elected to go second. So Legina is going first. Here we go. Legina, it's a date that occurs only in leap years. February 29th. That is correct. Mark. This competitor of Teen Vogue and Cosmo Girl has been in publication since 1944. 17. That's right, 17 magazine. Legina, it's a Jennifer Garner movie in which a teenager magically becomes 17 years older. 13 going on 30? That is right. Well done. Mark, the introductory level for a field of study and many colleges. 101. That's right. Legina, a Lou Bega hit from 1999, including such name drops as Angela, Pamela, Sandra, and Rita. Mambo. Number five. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. Wow. Mark, the first album by Prince to reach top ten on the Billboard 200 chart. Three seconds. Seven. No, I'm sorry. We're looking for 1999 oh. is the name of that album. And a song. Legina, a tree-dwelling South American mammal that only moves 41 yards in an average day. Oh. Three seconds. Um, sloth. Do you want to elaborate? Oh, uh, um, <laughs> a t- three sloths? <laughs> Do you want to elaborate one more time? One sloth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's a little confusing. No, we were looking for... Three toad sloth. That's a specific type of sloth. Oh, wow. Yeah, sorry. Mark, pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. The seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins is correct. We're at the halfway point. The game is tied at three points each. Legina, this rap group whose breakout album was As Nasty As They Want to Be was unsuccessfully sued for obscenity. Three Six Mafia? No, good guess. We're looking for Two, two Live Crew. crew. Oh, a, come on. <laughs> the, the lawyers knew that. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Supreme Court case. It's an important case. Mark, according to Blink-182's song, What's My Age Again? Nobody likes you when you're this age. 23. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Legina, an overproof rum that seemed really great in college due to its 75.5% alcohol content by volume. Oh. Sorry, three seconds. 
Sorry, we're looking for 151, or Bacardi 151. Mark, the logo of Baskin's Robbins contains this hidden number, a nod to the variety of flavors available in its stores. 31. That is correct. Here's the situation. Mark is in the lead 5-3. to three. Legina, you need to get this question right, or Mark wins the game. Legina, the NASA mission that carried humans to the moon's surface for the first time. Oh, Apollo 7. Oh, close. We're looking for Apollo 11. That means, Mark, you win. (laughs) Congratulations, Mark. And that's our show. Ask Me Another's puzzle guru is Art Chung. Hey, my name anagrams to Narc Thug. Our house musician is Jonathan Colton. Thou Jolta Cannon. Our puzzles were written by Adam Markowitz, Scott Ross, Mary Tobler, and senior writers Josiah Madigan and J. Keith Van Stratton. Ask Me Another is produced by Mike Katz of Travis Larchuk, Julia Melfi, Danny Shin, Ramel Wood, and our intern Camilla Franklin, along with Steve Nelson and Anya Grunman. We are recorded by Damon Whittemore, Noriko Okabe, and David Herkin. We'd like to thank our home in Brooklyn, New York, The Bell House. Hot Heel Blues. And our production partner, WNYC. I'm Harai Begonias. Ophira Eisenberg. And this was Ask Me Another from NPR. Hey, happy to hear you're still listening. And since you're still here, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review? We love to hear from you, and it helps others find out about our show. For additional information about new episodes, upcoming live shows, road shows, and bonus games, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks. Next time on Ask Me Another, actor Melissa Joan Hart tells us what she didn't do in her directorial debut of the thriller The Watcher in the Woods. So Angelica Houston stars in Watcher in the Woods. I'm not going to direct Angelica Houston. That's just ridiculous. Like, what? So, you know, you let her be Angelica Houston. Join me, Ophira Eisberg, on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. uh, But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR.